The last uh, several weeks, we have been drawing some life lessons from Nehemiah, a fellow who lived in the 5th century B.C., a century after the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem and carried off all the people to exile. The Persian kings uh, allowed the Jews to eventually return to their homeland, but the place was a shambles. It was a wreck. Everything was destroyed. But the returning Jews rebuilt the temple uh, under the leadership of a fellow by the name of Ezra, but the walls surrounding the city needed badly to be rebuilt for protection against invading armies. Nehemiah, a Jew who occupied a very important position in uh, the court of the king, the Persian king, was made aware of this need. He, he felt for his fellow uh, uh, Jews and uh, after much prayer and reflection decided he needed to heed what he thought was God's call upon his life. So he took leave of his position, he traveled to Jerusalem, and he led the effort to rebuild the city walls, which was no easy task. But somehow he organized uh, the people, and after much hard work and determination, they finished the project in record time, 52 days to build that entire wall around the city. So national security was vastly improved thereby, but Nehemiah proved to be an effective leader on other fronts as well. Under his political administration, he became um, kind of a governor of the city. The economy bounced back. There was no recession in sight. The gap between the rich and the poor narrowed. Confidence soared. Uh, people, the people had never enjoyed such uh, unity. Uh, you know, good feelings were in the air. And the city that was once in shambles was now in a position to flourish again. So everybody was feeling really good about things. So then how did Nehemiah and all the people celebrate this wonderful turn of events? Did they congratulate themselves for their hard work, pat themselves on the back? Did they fly the Star of David over the city and, you know, um, yeah, pat themselves on the back for being good Jewish people? Uh, did they all go out and get drunk? Did they throw a party to win all parties? Did, uh, did, they give, did, did the people give a special toast to Nehemiah, who was now their hero, who led this magnificent effort? So what did they do? Well, the Scripture says that they all came together as one in the square before the water gate. The water gate was the main gathering place in, uh, uh, for the nation, much like the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C. But they gathered for what purpose? Well, it isn't what you would expect. So reading from the eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They, took, uh, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, 
Shemai, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Man, those Hebrew words. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law <laughs> while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is shocking, actually, um, they came together in the city square, not to congratulate themselves, not to, uh, you know, give kudos to Nehemiah, their fearless leader, but to honor God, whom they acknowledged as the source of their blessing. And they chose to honor God by listening to His Word. The first thing they did after gathering together at Watergate Square was to call for the reading of Scripture. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And then from daybreak until noon, for six hours, they listened attentively to that word. So that the often rebellious and stiff-necked people, the chosen people of God, for once had their heads screwed on right and their hearts were in the right place because they realized that life was not just about building a security wall and enjoying material blessings. It wasn't just about eating and drinking and being merry. It wasn't simply about working nine to five and pulling down a paycheck. They knew that these things didn't mean a thing unless God was at the center of their lives. They realized and knew that their happiness and their security in this life comes from living God's way as He instructs us in His Word. Without a firm spiritual foundation rooted in God's Word, they knew the nation would remain fundamentally weak and vulnerable to attack by all kinds of destructive forces, no matter how high the wall. And as I thought about this, I have to wonder about the ultimate security of our own nation today. 
I mean, material blessings abound, and the economy is doing great. At least the stock market is way up. And, uh, and we have great technology, and we have fearsome military power. But how secure are we really as a country, as a people, if we have no common spiritual foundation, no shared understanding of basic morality? Historically, the Judeo-Christian tradition was the glue that held society together. It was the basis of morality, of relationships with one another. Our laws were built upon that foundation, that glue. Um, but what is becoming of that glue? It's, uh, it's weakening. You probably know. You maybe, maybe you've heard, according to national surveys, that fewer and fewer people are identifying as Christian or even as adherence to a particular religion. We have the rise of the nuns who claim to have no religion at all, and they're growing dramatically. They're still small, but it is growing, and uh, people are concerned. What happens to a country, to our country, if there is no shared story, if there's no overarching narrative that gives life meaning and purpose? What happens to our country if there's no shared sense of morality, of basic values? Our forefathers knew that the Constitution and the democracy, democracy itself rested on the moral virtue of people that was encouraged by religion. So imagine a society with no religion. It made me think of John Lennon's song, Imagine There Is No Heaven. That song scares me to death. That is the most dreary, depressing song ever. Because we would be lost, would we not? So wherein does our security as a country, where does it lie? Um, you know, is it all about enforcing legislative laws? You know, is that what, you know, you, you can't, the law isn't enough. People's hearts have to be tuned in. And I believe, as a Christian, they need to be tuned into God's ways. So it's concerning. And by the way, the statistics are not quite as bad as you see because many people who, uh, who identify themselves as Christians were only culturally Christians, kind of nominal Christians. And uh, so they, they don't even bother now to claim that they're Christian. They never were really in the first place. Uh, and the, the, but the number of people who take their faith seriously actually is staying pretty much the same or is actually increasing a little bit. And, and, and people who take their faith seriously, I think, actually is increasing in our country because of immigration. There are a lot of very faithful Christians who are coming from other countries and uh, are strengthening the Christian church as a whole. But anyway, it was springtime in Jerusalem, and it was because the people had, re had rediscovered a love and a passion for the Word of God. They wanted to hear what God had to say, and they were ready to obey it. And so that with all their heart, they could actually say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your, co your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I've not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And springtime will come to the Christian church and to our society and to our own hearts when we rediscover a love and a passion for the Word of God. The Lord Himself says to the prophet Isaiah, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So how can you and I cultivate a passion and a love for God's Word. And I believe that the key is to approach the reading of Scripture and the preaching of the Word with a, great sense of, a greater sense of expectancy that the living God will indeed actually speak to us. That God will address each one of us personally. That was certainly the expectation expectancy of the people uh, of Israel gathered before Ezra in Nehemiah's day. When Ezra opened the book of the law to read to them, we are told that the people stood up, which is a sign that they were being expectant. They knew that they were in the presence of greatness. You know, when you were addressed by somebody who's superior to you, you know, in the pecking order of life, um, you don't just sit down in their presence, you know, but you stand up out of respect, and you listen carefully to what is said, so that in some Christian worship traditions, you're asked to stand during the reading of the gospel. And there's something about that tradition that which we ought to bring back, you know. It's a sign of respect and of reverence, and it's a way of saying, we're all ears. We're in on this. This is important stuff. This has authority for our lives. And it's a reminder that God is actually present and is speaking directly to you and to me. Now, I fear that many of us don't actually have that sense of expectancy that the Lord is going to speak to us, uh, to be addressed by God. I think, uh, you know, maybe deep down we don't really expect God to show up, or uh, we think we already know Scripture, so we kind of tune out, you know, it's old hat, they're too familiar, or too archaic, or too incomprehensible, or too threatening, because oftentimes Scripture can be convicting and we don't really want to hear it because it might mean we have to, might have to change the way we do things. Without a sense of expectancy that God will speak, the words of the Bible can indeed become very dull and lifeless and boring, and we begin to wonder what the ancient book has to do with the 21st century, and pretty soon we just stop listening altogether and when God's people stop listening, spiritual decay sets in, hearts grow cold, and we be become no different than the world around us, which is one reason why the church is so weak. The church is not necessarily listening to the word in Scripture. So as you read the words of Scripture, as you listen to the sermon, pray that the Holy Spirit will indeed speak to you, that, that He will make the words come alive to you. Look for God to address you personally. There's a sense when we come into worship 
And we're reading scripture that we should all be on the edge of our seats. We can't wait to hear what God is going to say to us today. And it might be a, a promise to claim or a challenge to, to tackle or um, some encouragement that God wants to offer. Uh, it may be of great comfort to us or it may be convicting. You know, it may not be what we really, we don't want to hear, but we really do need to hear. Um, and actually, when you think about it, a miracle happens every Sunday. The Holy Spirit somehow is able to take the, uh, the broken, inadequate words of this particular preacher and is able to speak directly to you if you are listening. Um, it's amazing to me that that can even happen. Um, it's very important for me that when I preach, that I preach from the Word, and I'm not preaching my own words, so I'm very cognizant of that. Um, but we got to listen, even when I don't speak very well. The people gathered in Watergate Square in Nehemiah's day couldn't wait to hear what God had to say. Isn't that something? They all gathered. They didn't want to party first. Ezra, would you bring out the book of the law? Would you bring out the scriptures once again? We want to hear it, and we want to obey it. Oh, my. How wonderful. They all listened attentively and rejoiced in the meaning because it became clear to them. And I like this touch. We are told that a number of Levites, the priests, were instructing the people in the law while they were standing there, making it clear and giving the meaning so that they truly understood it. And the people of God are always blessed when we have great teachers to help us understand God's Word. Proper head knowledge of Scripture is important. Cultivating a passion for God's Word, however, means more than simply listening expectantly and seeking understanding. But somehow, the Scripture not only has to engage our head, but our hearts. It has to reach our emotions as well as our mind. The people were so overwhelmed emotionally but by what they heard that they offered God their heartfelt worship and praise. They shouted, Amen! And they raised their hands and then they fell on their knees and they fell flat on the ground. And I want you to know that even though we are a Presbyterian church and we are by nature a reserved people and we tend to be kind of into our head, I want you to know that I won't mind if there is an occasional amen after a good point. Uh, that's okay. You can even raise your hands. You can kneel if you want. You can fall flat on the, on the floor if you want. Amen. amen. Thank you. Uh, no one can uh, actually truly listen to God's word or understand it without being profoundly moved in some way. The Scripture should move us. We read in Nehemiah, all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. These people were moved to tears. They wept because it's an awesome thing to come in the presence of a holy God, and they knew that God was with them. They wept out of a sense of unworthiness before the one who is so holy and pure. The reading of the law reminded them of how far short they fell, how unholy they were, 
and how they had not lived up to what God had called them to be. They felt convicted by their own sin and brokenness. Their tears were tears of genuine sorrow, tears of repentance. But at the same time, the tears of sorrow gave way to tears of joy as they remembered that God was forgiving them. And they were aware of God's gracious provision for their lives. So if the Word of God does not move us to tears sometimes, there's something wrong. Maybe we're not correctly hearing them. Uh, We're not listening very expectantly or very attentively. I want you to know that in addition to shouting amen now and then, it's actually okay to cry. When was the last time you ever cried in church besides a funeral or a wedding? Now, some of you may cry during my sermon. I I hope it's for the right reason because you were touched by the Spirit, not because my sermon was so bad. Um, But it ought to move us. It needs to engage the mind and the heart. Say, amen. Amen. And uh, tears of sorrow, tears of joy. We ought to have tissue boxes all, you know, in the chairs here. Maybe we need more of that because the living God is addressing us. But, of course, the Word of God should not only move us to tears, but move us to action. It should lead to joyful obedience and service. And it's interesting how Nehemiah addressed the crowd after the reading of the word. It seems the party was just starting. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah instructs the people to be sure to include in their feasting those who have nothing prepared. In other words, he's reminding them and us to remember to serve the poor who have nothing to bring to the party, who have nothing to prepare. The Scriptures constantly call out to us to care for those who are poor materially or those who are poor in spirit, and to include them around our tables. And the people obeyed. For the text says, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. One time when Jesus was teaching, a woman called out, It was a compliment, saying, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and who nursed you. To which Jesus replied, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So may God revive us by renewing our passion for his holy word, and may we live always to the praise of God of his glory. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for instructing us in your way, a way that leads to life. 
Lord, order our steps so that we may walk in your ways. Help us to find our true happiness and security in you and in your teaching. Uh, Lord, continue to speak afresh from your holy word. And may we grow in our, in our understanding and appreciate all the more your great love for us. May known above all in the living word, who is Jesus Christ. Amen.